Hello, welcome to Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses all the masterpieces, trash the pieces of genre cinema, and this week, something completely different. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. Well, I say this week, it's Sunday. We never normally see you on a Sunday, but here we are. <laughs> so, welcome to the first of our two BFI London Film Festival coverage episodes. Yeah, this is going to be, like Gary said, different to what we would normally cover on the podcast. Still films, though. Yeah. You know. So, horror court trash over, this is the other. Yes. There's still yeah. some horror. Yeah, a little bit of horror. But these are... I don't, I don't know how to describe it. Maybe a little more highbrow yeah. than what we would usually cover. We've covered some classics, of course. Um, but we've never been so up-to-date, have we? No, these no, are this all is, like up to date films. These are so recent. Films. Well, well, these are so recent to the point that some of them aren't even released yet. Some of them don't have release dates, so yeah. So it's going to be completely spoiler free, obviously. Yeah. Um, the films we usually cover are readily available, mostly. Mm-hmm. Uh, these aren't, so we're going to be super careful. Um, but we'll just go through. But them, it's we? still going. Uh, yes. The film festival is still going. It's actually only just begun for the public. Uh, obviously, we've had press pass, so it's been going a while for us. But it's only just started for the public. So some of these probably haven't screened yet. Uh, some of them have, but uh, you know, tickets are available online. There's still some left. A lot have sold out, but there's still some left. So uh, if I've got you here, then uh, check it out and let us know what you're watching. And that's available through streaming, but also there are. Um, there are some cin- cinema screenings. Some cinema screenings. Um, and, you know, obviously... We, obviously in the UK. It, it, this, yeah, this is all in the UK currently. Uh, and, of course, you know, we want to encourage you to support cinema as much as possible. So if there is any tickets left for the cinema screenings, go for it. I mean, some of these, screen- some of these films will be amazing on a big screen, so... Yeah, and there's a lot of independent cinemas are joining in. Yeah. Rather than Odeon. Um, definitely not Cineworld. No. Uh, <laughs> view... Um, it's, it's like here in, where we live in Manchester, it's home, isn't it? Which mm-hmm. is a, an independent cinema, which is always a good, good place to, uh, help out. Yes. So without any further ado, let's get into it. So, uh, the, our first film was a film that, it, that showed at London Film Festival, but a film that we watched prior to London Film Festival because we got a screener sent through for it. Um, so this was a documentary called I Am Samuel, uh, directed by Peter Marimi, and it was uh, filmed verite style over five years, uh, and it's an intimate portrait of Kenyan man, uh, Kenyan of a Kenyan man torn between balance and duty to his family with his dreams for his future. So this is an LGBTQ plus documentary um, focusing on a gay relationship uh, between. Uh, title, uh, I'm about to say character, the individual that's focused on, Samuel, and uh, his boyfriend, and his balance with the family has this as in the plot, and uh, this was very, very good. Yeah, it was. I, I, I don't know what I was expecting. Um, all I really knew was LGBT, Kenyan. Um, what I, I thought was going to happen, we would get a big history, explorative film on... LGBT um, issues in Africa, specifically Kenya. What we actually got was a real intimate portrait of an individual and his struggles yeah. and 
Um, it was, yeah, it was really well done. Really well done. Yeah. It's the scary shit. And the thing that these laws are still in place, in places of the world, it's it's terrifying. It's and, and this documentary really highlights that and highlights how difficult it can be living with those laws and being homosexual. Yeah, and it, it being a portrait of a single man, it really helped because it puts a face and a name to these issues. Yeah. And he, he, you know, this wasn't his sole issue in life. No, no. But it was a big one yeah. and it caused a rift between his himself and his family, particularly his father, um, but also between him and his community. But he also found another community as well within the LGBT um, community. That's a lot of community, I just said yeah. that. <laughs> uh, well, one thing I really liked about this is the fact that, it, you know, it could have easily been dark and depressing and... Mm you know, really downbeat. But there's actually a lot of optimism in here. It, yeah. It, you know, it's it's downbeat to the point during moments that it needs to be to make you aware of its issues. Because that is the point of this documentary, is raising awareness as well as telling this beautiful story. Um, but it is also optimistic. And it was... I didn't leave it feeling sad or upset or anything. I, I no. You know... It's it yeah it's it's just a it's a really great documentary and the the guys behind it have been really sweet on Twitter they've been retweeting us and sending us likes and everything and yeah just go and watch it well it's I've got release dates here for a lot of these films and this one is to be confirmed so just keep an eye out and uh, when it's released check it out yeah I, this is the kind of film I'd like to see on TV yeah actually. Um... Yeah, on like a BBC play, iPlayer or something mm. like that. Just so, so a lot of people can watch Very accessible. it. accessible. Yeah. yeah, more accessible. So, on to what was our first day at London Film Festival. Now, before we actually continue, I just want to make, make a... Not an announcement. What the fuck am I talking about? Words are failing me. <laughs> uh, it's podcast time. Before we continue, I just want to say we didn't get to watch everything, uh, whether through technical issues or work commitments. We didn't get to watch everything that we would have liked to have watched. Yeah. Um, in fact, I I'm going to mention it now whilst I remember. We actually got about an hour and a half into Mangrove and it cut out and would not work again, which we were absolutely devastated by because Mangrove was shaping up to be the best film we watched so far at the festival. Uh, yeah, Mangrove is uh, Steve McQueen's new film. Um, he's done it with the BBC. Yeah, it's part of Small Axe. Small it's, Axe. Uh, anthology series. Yeah. Um, it's going to be screened on BBC. Is it BBC One? Yeah, I believe uh, so. BBC One in November, and we're really excited to watch Finish it. Finish it off. Because yeah. it, was, it was fantastic. Well, it actually, really was. Yeah, I mean, we'll be talking about Lover's Rock next week, which is another episode of the same series, but honestly, Mangrove had us so engrossed in it, it was just phenomenal. Yeah, it was. It was, it was very, very good. Very good. Yeah. Just shame we couldn't watch the rest of it, but... Anyway, so on to day one, we watched, started off, started off on a high... We watched Honeymoon, uh, directed by Taylor Lovey, uh, starring Abigail Harari, uh, Ran Danker, and Dan Amrusi. And the plot is as following uh, Fighting their honeymoon suite on the night of their wedding, a bride and groom embark on a surreal urban odyssey through the streets of Jerusalem. This was fucking incredible. I loved it. 
Yeah, it was it was very very good. It was genuinely quite funny in places, um, which I find with foreign films sometimes it doesn't translate the humour. Do you agree? No, no, I, I agree. And what language was was this? Uh, well, it was would have been Hebrew. Yeah. Um, because it was Israeli. Yeah, first, first, uh, first Israeli film. I mean, I mean, tr translate not in a, a language. No, no, no. I know that. No, but just... there, are, there are certain things that we in the UK find funny that other countries do yeah. not. Yeah. They yeah. they don't have the same sense of humor. Yeah. Um, but this was. What I felt was a, a throwback to a, a screwball comedy yeah. from um, sort of the golden age of Hollywood. Yeah. Um, and I really liked that. And seeing it from a different perspective um, w was really fun. And I did find some of the characters annoying, um, either intentionally or not. <laughs> um, but ultimately likeable which yeah. is important for a film like this um yeah it, it was it was genuinely a lot of fun to watch it really started off on a good note yeah it, it was strange like you said it, it is a very screwball comedy it felt like something from the 50s um you know and, and pre-50s of course uh that sort of uh like sullivan's travels sort of comedy where everything's yeah, a little yeah. bizarre. And, and it, it dials into surrealism as well. There's, there's moments in this that are just so fucking weird. It just it borders on surrealism. Um, and, and the cinematography is fantastic. Which is a comedy. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be a fucking beautiful looking film. But it is. It, yeah. It, it really yeah, is. Really the well soundtrack was great. Uh, the performances are fantastic. And it was genuinely so, so funny. And I can't recommend this enough. Yeah, it did that thing where a bickering couple didn't individually they got on my nerves yeah but they did a lot of bickering throughout the film and sometimes bickering in film can just be so infuriating if it's not funny mm -hmm. but this was this was funny yeah so i can forgive it <laughs> yeah i mean they, they spent so long just to give a ring back and that's not even a spoiler uh, it, it's just this this one simple task just led to so much stuff and it yeah it, it's so clever the way they wrote it was so clever so good uh that's to be confirmed as well release date but if uh if you see it pop up somewhere then absolutely watch it so next up was mogul mowgli this has actually been released on the 30th of october in the uk I'm not sure whether it's a lot of these. I'm not sure if they're being released theatrically or digitally. I am gonna I'm gonna assume digitally with what's going on. Um, but this is directed by Bassam Tariq, starring Riz Ahmed, uh, Aisha Hart, and Kiran Sonia Sawa. And the plot is a British Pakistani rapper is on the cusp of his first world tour, but is struck down by an illness that threatens to derail his big break. For me, this is the biggest surprise of London Film Festival so far. Yeah, I was expecting. Um, eight mile. Eight mile. <laughs> I, I really was. And I, I know that sounds silly to say it, um, but I was expecting a British version of Eight Mile, um, and it definitely wasn't. Um, there's not as much rapping in it as. I hope that's not a spoiler. It's not a spoiler. No. There's just not as much rapping in it as I thought there was going to be. What we actually got was a really sort of interesting look at uh identity in mm. a modern britain um and 
how, you know, a British Pakistani uh, man is kind of stuck between the two cultures, but still trying to find his own identity. Yeah. Um, and it's it was great. It was really great. Really well made. Really well acted. Uh, very, very interesting, you know. Um, yeah, it was really good. I think Riz Ahmed definitely should get some form of awards recognition for this, whether it's Oscars, BAFTAs, Golden Globes. I think... He deserves some sort of recognition because his performance was phenomenal. Yeah, he he really committed to the role and a lot of what he was doing. I mean, uh, you know, as we mentioned in the plot, there's an illness concerned. A lot of what he does in this film is very challenging, but he really sells it so well. And he was previously in Nightcrawler, um, and he was great in that. But given um, him, sorry, he, what do you just remember? He was in Nightcrawler. No, I was just wondering how old he was. Because he didn't seem particularly old in this film. But I know... Not they made a point of him being old in this film. Well, not old, but older than yeah, a lot of other like people. Like, this was his last chance. Yeah, I yeah, see. yeah. He just didn't look particularly old. No, no. And, yeah, like I said, you know, he, he's really good at Nightcrawler. But in this, he was given the lead role and he absolutely owned it. Well, he, he wrote this film. Did, did he really? I, I, didn't, I, I, I didn't believe he wrote the film. That's even better. Yeah, I do believe he wrote the film. Yeah, I mean, you know... we. We listen to all sorts of music. Rap isn't our first go-to um, with music, but still, we thoroughly enjoyed it. It's like like uh, like Whiplash. You don't have to be into jazz to enjoy Whiplash. You don't have to be into rap to enjoy this film. Yeah. So thirty volts over. Keep an eye out for that because it is very very good. Next up, her nope. That's not next. The painter and the thief is next. Another documentary. This is also being released on the 30th of October. A lot of these are being released on the 30th of October. Directed by Benjamin Ree. This is a documentary where an artist befriends a thief who stole her paintings. She becomes his closest ally when he is severely hurt in a car crash and needs full-time care, even if her paintings are not found. But then the tables turn. This is as good as it sounds. I was completely sold by the plot for this. I, I thought... A documentary where an artist befriends someone who stole her painters. I, I was just really intrigued by that. That's such a, a weird plot, but God, it works. I, I'm gonna sound. I'm gonna sound like a bit of a knob. Um, I didn't realize it was a documentary until we started watching it. Well, I I thought it was a based on a true story, mm. um, but I didn't realize it was a documentary. Yeah. Um, it was very well made. That is, that is a very interesting subject to make a documentary out of. Absolutely. And I know it sounds very silly to say it, but sometimes with a documentary, you know, I think, uh, I see the subject matter and I'm like, well, that doesn't interest me. Mm. You know, um, th this one did and it, 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 it looked at, well, just the act of forgiveness. Yeah. Really. Um, but also the other end and what was going on in his life yeah. and for him to become a thief. Yeah. You know, and their relationship. You know, it wasn't... I, I thought it was going to be... I thought this was going to be a... Um, a, a you know, non-fiction. Mm. And I thought they were going to be... 
get into a relationship. <laughs> I thought it was going to be like some late, uh, like 90s thriller. <laughs> erotic thriller and then it turned out to be quite a heartwarming documentary so if um if the british film institute are listening to this please fund us and we will make this film for you the 90s erotic thriller version of the painter <laughs> yeah. and the thief yeah like basic or instincts like, with paint or like entrapment do you remember that one with sean connery yeah. and Catherine zeta jones <laughs> taking we're gonna go taking lives route with it Evangelina Jolie. Oh God! No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the one with Meg Ryan where she gets? Oh no, that was in the cut. cut. Yeah. Oh, anyway, sh- if you if you want to hear about getting bits out and stuff, let's talk over episodes <laughs> where we're really immature. Um, but yeah, Painter and a Thief. It's yeah, it's it's really really good. Um, it's, and I'm gonna say it a lot because we've watched a lot of good shit. But this is um. This interested me in the way that the in the way that they filmed the documentary because it was pretty much a fly in the wall documentary with yeah. the two of them. But you don't just see, like Chris mentioned, you don't just see what happened between the two of them with this painting. You get to see into their personal lives as well, and they're both really likable. Body end of it, it's non judgmental, yeah. which is really really yeah. important in a documentary like this. Mm-hmm. It's it it's not salacious. It doesn't paint, no pun intended, the the thief in question out to be a bad guy, necessarily. No. You know, we make judgments based on what we see, you know, and yeah, it, it was actually quite nice yeah. in the end. It really was. Yeah. Heartwarming. And that is available on 30th of October, so definitely keep an eye out for that. When you're saying 30th of October, we, we just... I've seen 30th of October. Mm. Where? It's not telling me where. Yeah, no, it just says United Kingdom 30th of October, so... I'd look online. I would would look online. Yeah. I assume that's where it's going to be. If it interests you, just do do your research. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so next up, uh, on the next day, we had Herself, which... Is another to be confirmed, but I think this is getting a theatrical release uh, by looks of Odeon's website. It seems like the kind of film that would get yeah. a theatrical release, release to be honest. Uh, directed by Fuller Lloyd, uh, starring Molly McCann, Claire Dune, who also wrote it, and Ruby Rose O'Hara. It's the story of young mother Sandra who escapes her abusive husband and fights back against a broken house and system. She sets out to build her own home and in the process rebuilds her life and rediscovers herself. Uh, One thing I want to say is I really applaud uh, London Film Festival for showing so many female directed films. I mean, every day there's guaranteed at least one or two. Yeah, it's great to see it. it. It really is. And, you know, there's been a lot of, I mean, not herself um, particularly, but other films. There has been and will be coming up um, a lot of stories of, um, uh, a lot of black stories uh, for Black History Month. And, you know, of course, Black Lives Matter as well. Um, they've been very, very supportive of that this year. And it's just so nice to see. Well, it's about time these sort of stories were told. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's stories here that we never would have, you know, even thought about. I mean, like Painter and a Thief. We wouldn't have even seeked that film out, but we watched it because of London Film Festival and we loved it. So, yeah, it, it's we highly recommend doing a London Film Festival and just supporting 
a festival that's putting on such diverse films from all over the world, um, all genders, you know. Yeah. At the end of the day, if these are the kind of stories that you want to see be told, mm -hmm. as is with myself and Gary, then you need to support these films. And yeah. you need to sort of... Unfortunately, as it stands, we need to go out of our way to support these films. Mm. You know, it, it takes absolutely no effort to go see... And I'm not dissing the MCU. Um, I quite enjoy the majority of the films. But it takes absolutely no effort to go and see the latest Marvel blockbuster. Yeah. Yet there are so many stories from, you know, female writers, directors, LGBTQ writers and directors, um, black and minority ethnicity mm -hmm. um, writers and directors that we have to go out of our way to watch. But if we do suddenly that would become the norm and we'd like to see films, you know, like herself mm -hmm. in wide release in cinemas. Yeah, it's why it's why the way cinemas are currently, it's not... Uh, I mean, obviously, Cineworld is a terrible thing, but places like Odeon who are staying open and view, the reason it's not such a terrible thing currently is because... There's no big blockbusters coming out, so they're practically being forced to show indie films. Yeah. St. Maud has just had a massive theatrical release because of the way cinemas are currently. Yeah, St. Maud has a big studio behind it. A fairly big studio, A24. Yeah. Midsummer had a big release. But uh, when we saw Midsummer, we had, there was like one or two screens per night. There's loads of screens to St. Maud. It's, it's, um, yeah, it's everywhere. You can go see it at any cinema. It's... It's nice to see. St. Maud's a fantastic film. Um, but anyway, and that concludes our first tangent of the episode. <laughs> it's not our first tangent. Do you not remember talking about Meg Ryan getting it all out? <laughs> Second, no. We love a tangent. <laughs> I mean, but, we're assuming you, you're first-time listeners. It's probably our regular listeners listen to this anyway. Like, what the fuck are we talking about? I know, yeah. <laughs> Either way, herself, herself yes. I liked this film. Yeah. I really enjoyed the acting. I liked the story being told. It's a, it's an important one, like we've just said. For me, I wish it just delved a little deeper. Yeah, I... There's a lot of it I enjoyed. I, I really enjoyed Claire Dean's performance. Um, she... Is she, is she is just done. I think with, it's done. With two ends. Well, we'll say Claire Dean then. Okay. Claire in the lead role, she did a fantastic job. Um... I mean, again, it's like I say with Mogul Mowgli, this is a film that requires a very challenging role in that it's domestic abuse. Mm -hmm. And the opening sequence is so jarring because it doesn't hold back on realism with domestic abuse. You're straight in there. You know what's going on. Um, I, I don't want I, I to say what I do for a living, but a lot of what's involved in this film is accurate. You can tell they've done their research from a personal standpoint. Um, this is very, very accurate. Um, mm. Like, the behind-the-scenes stuff mm -hmm. and the lore and stuff. Um, of course, it's a story about domestic abuse, but it's also a story about her building a house. Yeah. And, and uh, you can look at that house as symbolism for her building her life back up after this horrific ordeal she's been through. Oh, of course, you know. It, it's... 
right there. Um, but it's also about, you know, friends and family coming together in the community. Mm. People that she barely knew, didn't know at all, coming together yeah. to build this yeah. house. This, for me personally, this would have made a great two-part drama on um, television, terrestrial yeah. television in the UK. That I, that sounds like uh, a negative or a diss, but what I would have liked to have seen this developed further, I just I just don't think it was able to do it justice in the time frame. No, no. and it made the ending feel a little too jarring. Yeah. We're not going to say what it is, but it was something. I it, understood it what they were trying to do with that ending, mm. but it, it just it came across rushed. Yeah, and it took away from a lot of the rest of the film. Whereas, if you like, you said if they had a two part drama, uh, on ITV or BBC or whatever, then it would have definitely delved into a lot more. It wouldn't have felt so jarring, and I felt there was more to be told after the end credits started to, to roll. Yeah, I genuinely thought there was more to be told throughout the whole film. Yeah. I don't think the story suited a feature-length film of mm. an hour and a half or, or, or whatnot. It could have really done with, you know, four hours. Yeah. Really. Yeah, well, there's no matter, there's no time limit to what could be told in that sort of story. Uh, I did not like the soundtrack. I'm not even going to lie to you. Um, <laughs> I think the use of pop songs was a terrible decision and would have done nicely with the, the score. Just continue with the score. You didn't need the pop songs. But was there a score apart from the pop songs? I feel there was. I feel there was. And now you mentioned it, I'm questioning it. It was, it was very obvious choices of yeah. music. Very <laughs> descriptive for what was happening. Yeah, on which uh, we're not fans of. To no. Be fair. But, you know, it is a good film. It is not a bad film by any means. No. So check it out in cinemas when it is released. It's a film that needs supporting. Yes. Absolutely. Because it is a good film. And it deserves people to watch it. So, next up... Um, a film that doesn't deserve people was... to watch it. <laughs> Holy shit! Someone's not holding back. Fucking hell. Why are you next to these films? <laughs> well, I was going to be nice about it, but if you're going to be like Why that... Why are you being nice next about it? Next up is Siberia. Siberia. <laughs> to be confirmed release date. <laughs> so, Siberia is the newest film from Abel... Abel Ferreira. Abel Ferreira director. Abel Ferreira. Yeah. Now, me and Gary, I've seen two other Abel Ferreira films. And I've seen Miss 45, which I liked. Not not massively, but I liked it. And Driller Killer. Driller Killer is awful. <laughs> awful. The scariest thing about Driller Killer is the scene where they're all eating pizza and it's so fucking loud oh. it's disgusting and yet it comes up with a sign at the start of the film saying play this movie fucking loud and uh, no don't don't pick yourself straight it has the most stupid ending I it, it was I remember seeing the cover as a kid in Blockbuster and my dad owned it and stuff and I remember there being this big thing about how bad it was how oh, 
dreadful ex uh, exploitative and groundbreaking and I watched it and I was so fucking disappointed it was stupid and that brings us to Siberia speaking of disappointment so this is the first horror film we watched for London Film Festival oh, we did watch another one but we're not allowed to talk about that yeah um, but directed by Abel Freer as uh, as Chris just mentioned starring Willem Dafoe Dunia Sitchoff uh, Sikhoff and Simon McBurney and it is an exploration into the language of dreams <laughs> I don't know what it was sure, exploring, Jan. but Jesus Christ. I'm going to start with a positive for this film. Was that your laptop? Oh, it might have been. Why is your laptop on? Okay, carry on. Um, it was a beautifully shot film. <laughs> it looked great. Yeah. The imagery was fantastic. Yeah. But Jesus Christ. It was made no the, sense. It made no sense. And it. we've watched... Films that are absurd. Films that are psychedelic. Films that don't follow a conventional plot. Or, you know, any conventions, really. I'm thinking Inland Empire. Yeah. David Lynch. Yeah. Most things David Lynch has made. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but there was heart to these films. Mm. There, there was something else going on. In this film, I just felt like it was trying far too hard. Yeah, it was experimental, mm. but this just wasn't very thought out. It was, it was like, oh, here's some shocking. Oh, there's some else shocking. There's some else shocking. There's some else shocking. But with no context to it at all. If it's an exploration into language of dreams, are these meant to be Willem Dafoe's dreams? Maybe, but you know. Some things don't need to be put on film, and Willem Dafoe uh, having a massive sex montage didn't need to be put on film, if I'm honest. No, it. So, what I gathered from this film is that Willem Dafoe was having some sort of dreamlike flashbacks. So, he was looking into his life hmm. and parts of his life, and it wasn't necessarily in a chronological order, but parts of his life. But his sort of past being played by his present. Mm. So what you had was Willem Dafoe having sex with women half his age Yeah. in this film. And it came across as <laughs> creepy rather than... rather than absurd or, you know, out there or whatever they were trying to do. It just came across as creepy. And then you, you get these random scenes of... Was it someone painting their knob? Yeah. Red. And it's like, you're trying too hard. And I just felt the film took itself far too, far too seriously. But and naked... it became laughable yeah, by the end. It was when they introduced the naked dwarf. Where it was at that point where it was very obvious he was just trying to be edgy. Yeah. But it doesn't work. Didn't work. It doesn't work, work unless random. you have some sort of charm. And it felt like a very... And I know it's called Siberia, but it was a very cold film. Mm. And I just ended up not being really uninterested mm. in Willem Dafoe's character. Because he really... Even though we're going into all these moments in his life, and this is what I interpreted mm -hmm. from the film, but we're going into all these moments, I still never felt like I knew Willem Dafoe's character. No. 
Do you know what my highlight of the film was? <laughs> I dread to think. The old Russian lady at the start. <laughs> who, who just <laughs> kept talking. So she was old. I think she was Russian. Um, we didn't have subtitles. There was no subtitles her, so. for her. But she... So Willem Dafoe was um, getting, a, getting a bit frisky with this pregnant woman at the beginning. A bit. And this pregnant woman's mum was there. And she was an elderly woman. Um, I, th- I think they call them babushka ladies in Russia. Please forgive me, my ignorance. Um, she's an elderly woman. And she's there. And she's, there's no one else there. She's not talking to anyone. <laughs> and this goes on. How long does this go on for? Like 10 minutes? It felt like a lot longer. She's like, <laughs> And it's uh, no surprise. But it's I, all whilst Willem Dafoe is going down on her daughter. Yeah, and I don't think she was talking. I don't know what language she was talking, but she was mumbling it, and there were no subtitles, so it was just like the soundtrack was. <laughs> She's making noises, and I was like, "What's going on here? Stupid!" So Siberia, see it for yourself. Sorry. Some people are going to listen to that and be like, I've got to watch this film. Let's be fair. Some, I would. Hi, Maz. <laughs> Maz is going to watch, want to watch this film, though. <laughs> Somebody painting their knob red. Ah, I'm in. <laughs> Sounds like Kira's type of film as well. I think... Potentially. Uh, I think that's pretty much most of our listeners, what they would watch. Anyway, so if you want to watch someone's knob painted red, watch Siberia. I mean, there was no way we weren't going to watch that film. Yeah, it's... I (laughs) wanted to see it. Yeah, so... Um, Yeah. (laughs) Moving on to another horror film, we have Relic, uh, which has been released on the 30th of October, you guessed it, 30th of October, uh, directed by Natalie Erica James, starring Emily Mortimer, Robin Nevin, and Bella Heathcote. Uh, daughter, mother and grandmother are haunted by a manifestation of dementia that consumes their family's home. The first of two films to deal with dementia at London Film Festival. Not the best one to deal with dementia, but that's not... Dementia. Dementia, that's what I'm saying. Dementia. Um, but it does handle it well. It does handle it well. But the next film we're going to talk about later on handles it a lot better. Because it's not a horror film. Yeah. Um, it... It's a difficult one. I like Rannick. I, I liked Rannick. I, I liked it. It wasn't a bad film by any, you know, um, stretch of the imagination. It just wasn't a great film. I felt that the idea of this d- dementia and creating a horror film out of it is a very interesting one. Yeah. And I could see the themes being developed of um, this you know, matriarch of the family mm-hmm. being taken over yeah. by dementia, which physically was her being taken over by this spirit or ghost yeah. or yeah. whatever it was in the house. And it leads to some interesting body horror. Mm-hmm. And But to me, it felt so cliched. Yeah, the first hour of this film is very... Cut and paste modern supernatural horror. Things move. People go around the house like they know it's a horror film. Check in. Uh, they don't turn on the lights. I'm going to mention it before Christos. Um, you know, it's very... You, you know what to expect. 
Um, but again, the performances are all fantastic, uh, especially uh, the lady playing the grandmother. She is very, very good. She was very good. Um, Forgive us for not remembering your name. It's a lot of films to remember, <laughs> not names. But once it reaches the hour mark, it, it, it's out there. It, it goes... I don't want to say crazy, but it it takes a risk. It it it, ta- it takes a massive turn to what the rest of the film is, and the last five minutes I felt uncomfortable watching, but only because of the imagery. I don't think the message was meant to make me feel uncomfortable. No, I, I get what it was trying to say. That that yeah. was lovely, great, but the imagery was disturbing. But then I just, really, I just felt like it did what any other film would have done. I think if you would just swapped dementia for anything else, you would still have the same film. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, it, it wasn't. It wasn't a bad film. Um, Emily Mortimer does. She's great at accents. She is. You know, um, <laughs> she's a great Australian accent. Bless her. Uh, I, I just. It was. Unmemorable. Mm. It was unmemorable. I don't think this time in, you know, in two or three months' time, if you say, do you remember the film Relic? I would struggle. Yeah. Um, because it was just a bit generic. But still good enough to recommend. So, 30th of October, check it out. Next up, another 30th of October film. <laughs> Shirley... Directed by Josephine Decker, starring Elizabeth Moss, Edissa Young, and Michael Stolberg. A famous horror writer finds inspiration for her next book after she and her husband take in a young couple. This is probably the biggest disappointment so far. I was expecting really great things from this film. Yeah. Um, I really was. I wanted to go into it quite blind to plot. You, you know, I I wanted. I knew I knew I know who Shirley I knew who Shirley Jackson was. Um, I knew what she wrote. Um, I, I don't know, it, difficult relationship with this film, because I really 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 wanted to like it. I mm. really wanted to like it, but it just. There was something missing. Yeah. What I really struggled with, um, if anyone's familiar with the film Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, um, it, it's a film from the 60s starring Elizabeth Taylor and um, Richard Burton. And it's about a couple, uh, an academic. He's an academic professor, uh, very similar to Shirley. Um, they invite a couple round after... Um, some sort of event or function and they proceed to get really really pissed and argue a lot and secrets are revealed all that business it's a fantastic film one of my favorites and I just could not get over the comparisons Mm. and knowing that this wasn't based on fact this is from a fictionalized account um, it was based on a, a novel that was written about Shirley Jackson uh, a few years ago. I was just like, oh, this is kind of 
I just could not get over those comparisons it, between the two films. It really made Shirley Jackson out to be a horrible person. Yeah. Um, her and her husband, and by all accounts, I'm sure her husband probably was supposed to because apparently he cheated a lot. I think um, she was a little temperamental, but not... Not as, to the level that they're portraying no, in this film. She comes across as very bitter, um, very conniving, mm. um, and just... It, it feels like she just wants to shit on people for no reason. Mm. And I feel like that was the main message of about half yeah. the film. Yeah, well, from all of the film. I mean, all of it. Um, yeah. Elizabeth Moss, if they are trying to make Shirley Jackson look like a bit of a knob, then Elizabeth Moss did a fantastic job. Uh, I love Elizabeth Moss. I know Chris does as well. Yeah. Um, but this performance was no The Invisible Man. The accent was all over the place. But other than that, it was a good performance. Yeah. she. The problem is... Uh, an acting can only be as good as what someone's given. Yeah. You know. Um, I feel like the film never really f- fully developed anything. I really don't think any part of it was fully developed and dealt with appropriately. No. Um, I don't really want to go into spoilers. There's so some I'll, great I'll imagery. That. There's some really great imagery. There is, but th- there's randomly some... inserted. Yeah, and that's never really fully developed. My <laughs> my my take from this as well is Elizabeth Moss's accent. I'm so sorry. <laughs> But it changed scene to scene. And for half of it, she sounded like Betty Davis. <laughs> which I thought was hilarious, but it wasn't meant to be hilarious. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, I bet D- Betty Davis would do this film amazing. Oh, she she would be great yeah. in the lead. You know, a pure bitch. I just... It, so it just didn't sit well with no, me. And I'm so disappointed. Cause it started off great. It's, you know, when it started off and... They're having the little mind games with the couple and they're having their conversations behind their backs. I thought, oh, this is going to be some really uh, spicy drama. Yeah. You know, I thought this is going to be, oh, yeah, she's going to be an absolute bitch and whatever, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to be entertaining. But after I guess about half an hour, it just gets so lost in itself. And If that was the film, if the film was Shirley Jackson is an arsehole... And she's an arsehole throughout the whole of the film and the plot develops around her being an arsehole, then that would have been fine. Mm. But it didn't. No. It was here, there and every- everywhere. Yeah. Just really disappointing. I was kind of expecting a horror film as well. It, it wasn't a horror film. No. I was expect. I I don't know. I don't know. The advertising, I was expecting her to have some sort of potentially like a mental breakdown and mm. we we would see very similar to forgive me i can't remember i think it's gothic the is it ken the ken russell film about mary shelley i thought it'd be quite similar to that mm. in her having these hallucinations and it being a horror film it wasn't i know i was i was disappointed yeah not awful it was. It wasn't awful, but I just had really high expectations. I think. Well, moving on to the next film, and um, the next day we had Undina, 
I'm going to call it Undine. It looks like it says Undine. If you want to look it up, it's U-N-D-I-N-E. But I'm going to say Undine because this is what they kept saying in the film. Yeah, it's how they pronounced it in the film, Undine. Uh, yeah, directed by Christian Petzold, starring Paula Beer, Franz Rogowski, Miriam Zari. Undina works as an historian lecturing on Berlin's urban development, but when the man she loves leaves her, the ancient myth catches up with her. Undina has to kill the man who betrays her and return to the water. I wish that was the plot. This was the first real... Stinker. Stinker. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't get it. I have no idea what was going on. I was aware of that plot before I started watching it. Yeah. D- didn't happen. That's not, it didn't happen. That's it, not do you know plot. what? That plot takes up five, maybe ten maximum minutes of the film. And it's not a spoiler because that... I mean, it, it's It's all, a fucking warning. Like, don't... Yeah. It's don't a, watch and expect in that. It's all in the plot warners. synopsis. What we got was actually a really boring and repetitive love story between... Undina and some other random guy that mm. isn't even the one she needs to get revenge on. No. They break up in the first five minutes. Yeah, and in that first five minutes, she's like, oh, you understand that I have to kill you now. Like, yeah, I know. So he's basically like, yeah, I've fucking died and be with you, bitch. But, you know, and, and that was interesting. I was like, oh, okay, so why does he have to die? What is this myth? Are we going to delve deeper into this? No, we don't. We, we, we don't until a lot later on. And we're introduced to this other guy who's there after a fish tank smashes. And we see him get on and off trains about 50,000 times. So throughout the much entire run time. Oh in this my film. god. And, you know, the acting's okay until the last 20 minutes. Then the guy she's in love with, it's like he forgets how to act. And it's so funny because. It's really like he's trying so hard, but it's not working. The cinematography is beautiful. It's beautifully shot. With all of these films, no matter how much we enjoy or don't enjoy them, all of them are very well made. They are, actually. Um, There's not a badly made one in the bun. This had a great score. You know, it's very, very... A lot of effort went into it, but it, it just wasn't for me. It, if it stuck of its plot, I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more, but this was too much of a tangent to the point it was a completely different film to what was promised. It was boring. And for me, that's unforgivable. And and there's not even that much more that could be said about it. But it's a good segue to go on because next up we have Never Gonna Snow Again, directed by Margozata Sumoska. I think I pronounced it right. Michael, and Michael Engler uh, co-directed it. Starring Alec Utgoth, Marja Ostazuska, and Agata Kaluza. Xenia, uh, a Russian-speaking immigrant from the East, works as a masseur in Poland and becomes a guru-like figure in a wealthy gated community where his clients live. This was advertised as a comedy, and again, we were absolutely lied to because this was not a comedy. I was expecting, uh, what a lover boy, um, the the film where the pizza guy goes around and shags all his customers. I was expecting something like that, but with uh, magical powers because apparently he has magical powers. It's uh, a very one I think about this film is that that's meant to be the whole, you know, the point around it. But there was nothing. It is again just so repetitive. I this I this is potentially what I was speaking of earlier when I said sometimes humor doesn't translate. Very yeah, well because there were a few moments 
that I was like, okay, that that was funny. Not like bellyache funny. Um, but for most of it, it was just a bit absurd. Yeah. And I just, I really, I just didn't get it. No. And it's a shame because I think there was something there. And it, we discussed it slightly earlier that I, I was maybe a little more forgiving of this film because I think potentially I just didn't get it. Yeah. And I don't know if that's the filmmaker's fault or my fault. Yeah. But I just, I didn't really understand what they were going for. And it was quite repetitive. It really was. It was quite repetitive. Again, you know, well made, well acted, but it was just, it just did absolutely nothing for me. Yeah. It, I don't know. I think, I feel like they were going for that absurd sort of comedy, like The Office. You know, that kind of awkward comedy? If if that's the case, I didn't get any of it then at all because I just, I didn't laugh once. No, it did, I don't know. It's a difficult one. I, I didn't, it kept me interested. Mm. I'll give it that. I just didn't get it. I just just didn't get it. I'm sorry. Uh, Moving on to Time, another documentary. Uh, Release date to be confirmed, but this is an Amazon original, so this will be going to Prime. Uh, Directed by Garrett Bradley, it follows Fox Rich, who fights for the release of her husband, Rob, who was serving a 60-year sentence in prison. This is the kind of documentary that everybody should watch. Yeah. This is this isn't your Tiger King, memeable. No, you know. This is a very important documentary yeah. about a very important subject matter, and a remarkable woman. Yeah, um, it's 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 really really good. I was really enthralled throughout the whole thing. Mm. Um, quite shocked at the subject matter. Um, it, it it was well made. I I kind of my thing is with this film is that I enjoyed the story so much and I enjoyed her so much mm. and watching her so much that I kind of wish it was longer. Yeah, it's an hour as, and twenty two minutes, which is quite short. Yeah, as a film and as us watching a film, I wished that it was more in-depth to, mm. to her because I really felt for her and, mm-hmm. and I feel like people watching would have a strong um, affinity to her. Mm. And I kind of wish it was longer. Yeah. But as a subject matter and as, uh, you know, a documentary mm-hmm. and what documentaries are about, I think it's very important yeah. to watch. Yeah, it's, it's one big demonstration of uh, the fucked up justice system in America. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, this year more than ever, it's, it's more it's more important than ever to watch a film like this. Um, and again, like excuse me, sorry for interrupting. Like I am Samuel, what we needed was a very personal portrait and a face mm. to put to this. Yeah. And um, and that's what we got because she she's a remarkable woman. And I like the filmmaking side of things. I thought the black and white style amateur filmmaking it added a more 
I want to say real. Of course, it's real. It's a fucking documentary. But it, it had a more personal, intimate, and intimate. Yeah, no, it. I understand what you mean because sometimes, it, and it sounds like an oxymoron, but documentaries can feel quite set up. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, whereas this, this didn't. felt it, real. This used footage from over twenty years, and I thought that was fantastic. I yeah. thought the way it was all edited together was brilliant. And and again, it it just it allowed her to tell her story, mm. which was the important. It didn't, as a film, it I didn't feel like it was edited to, you know, make it go one way rather than the other. Yeah, it was just very honest. She told her story. She told her truth, and that's what was important. Yeah. So yeah, keep an eye out for that on Amazon Prime. Hopefully, by the end of this year. Next up, we had Supernova, which has been released on the 20th of November. Again, I think this might be theatrical. Uh, directed by Harry McQueen, starring Colin Firth, Stanley Tucci, and Laurie Campbell. And it's about Sam and Tusker, who are travelling across England in their old RV to visit friends, family, and places from their past. Since Tusker was diagnosed with dementia two years ago, their time together is the most important thing they have. And... This was probably the second biggest surprise of the festival because when this started, I think we had a little conversation about the whole gay couple bickering thing and, you know, there's little things put in place that you normally see in an LGBT film. But, wow, this really got me. Like, it, it absolutely drew me in and just didn't let me go until the end. I was so invested. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I said I've got a slight issue with the beginning because it's like, is, is every gay couple in a film going to bicker? Uh, <laughs> and, then we, and then we were like, actually, we bicker quite a lot, don't we? Uh, <laughs> um, I thought it was very well acted. Mm. Um, I Very, very well acted. I would say this is Oscar bait for Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci. Would you? Yeah. Yeah, like there's moments in this so I was like, "This is their Oscar clip." I I, to- I pointed yeah, out to you. You could get that like, for a lot of films. No, this this in particular, this was pure pure Oscar bait. I don't know if I'd put it into that category. I liked the film. It was it, and it was very well acted. I'll give it that. Um, uh, I I just my issue with similar films. And we get it a lot in British cinema, is that all these things happen to middle class people, <laughs> or artistic people, yeah. people at the top of their game, and which is an interesting, you know, it's an interesting way to look at dementia and 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 search, but I sometimes I feel like I struggle to relate to a lot of these characters. You know, when he's Colin Firth's character as a birthday party in his um, old home that he grew up in, and then you realise it's a fucking massive, pretty much a mansion, <laughs> and there's about 100 people in there at this party. I, I just, sometimes I find it really hard to relate because I'm a bit like, okay, this is a, this is a middle-class tale. Mm. I know what you mean, but I was just so engrossed in the story that I just got to the point where I forgot about all of that because I cared about these characters. Yeah. You know, there's the whole straight actors playing gay characters thing and I do think 
we need more gay actors playing gay characters. Uh, it's not like they're not available. It's not like we've got a shortage, is there? But at the same time, I'm glad these two were picked for this roles because I just thought they were fantastic. I really and they were believable. They didn't they didn't camp it up. Sandy Tucci did a bit, but I think that might just be him. Um, I feel like that's because he was an American in a film full of British people. Maybe, yeah. I, I do feel that it yeah. was a little bit... I think Stanley Tucci's quite camp yeah. anyway. It didn't feel like they were trying to show you what they think gay people look like. They were just two normal people treated like a normal straight couple would have been. Um, and, and yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. Well, one of them was the maestro piano player and the other was a world famous writer. Other than that, <laughs> I I I just some I I just I wished we could have maybe seen this story told, um, on a council estate. <laughs> I I know that it sounds stupid to say it, but I just feel like I would have felt it was more relatable. Yeah, I I don't know these people. Do you know what I mean? I know what you mean. These aren't people I, I know, know. and sometimes that makes it a struggle for me to to relate. I think dementia was handled really well in this. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It is not. I'm. I'm sorry. I sound like, like um, I hated all these fucking films. <laughs> no, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the film, and I really think people should go out and watch it. But it wasn't a perfect film, <laughs> and that's what we do on this podcast. So next up, uh, another documentary, The Reason I Jump, to be confirmed release date, directed by Jerry Ruffwell. It's based on the book by Naoka Higashida. This immersive film explores the experiences of non-speaking autistic people around the world. And this was the first of the festival to get a 10 out of 10 from me. Yeah, and me too. This is, I said earlier about a documentary being important and everybody should watch it. And I think it stands for this film as well. This film needs a wide release. It needs a TV release. I really genuinely thought this was incredible. Mm. And really such a groundbreaking... I mean, I'd never seen anything like this before. No, no. It doesn't just feel like a documentary. Again, like how The Painter and the Thief follows these people closely, how time follows these people closely, we get multiple different stories here of people living with autism, uh, you know, and, and their family surrounding them. And there's so much here. I mean, I obviously, I know a few autistic people, but there's so much here I didn't know that I learned. And that is what a documentary is meant to do. It's meant to educate you as well as captivate you. And this did both. It was well made. It felt like a film at times. It was cinematic. It was so good. So, so good. It was respectful to yeah. the subject matter. Yeah. Um, and it, it really... We, as a society, not you know... I don't want to tie everyone with the same brush, but I think sometimes with disability, the the kind of disability that we don't see on a regular basis, we make assumptions about. Yeah. And that's just society. That's human nature. Um, Which is why documentaries like this are so important because I learned something. I was like, oh, you know, there's this whole other side to these people with with autism Mm. who you know, can't speak, but they still want to communicate. Yeah. And there were some very touching moments in it, in the film as well. 
Um, it, it was great. It was really, really fantastic. And it shows different types of autism as well. It doesn't just stick to one. It, it shows you many different types. And... Yeah, and that not everybody's the same. Yeah. Not everybody with a disability have a, a disability or, or the same way as each other. Mm. Yet we're all led to believe that people with autism are, you know, f- fantastic brains. Well, that's you what know, Hollywood men yeah. uh, are yeah. um, building rockets. Uh, I think the Predator is a good example of that. Um, communicating with space, or you know, um, can remember every single detail from mm. the last, you know, ten years. Sometimes that is the case. But it's not always. It, mm. it was just a really remarkable film. Yeah. Really fantastic. Yeah, really fantastic. And then that brings us to uh, what we watched today. I mean, you listened to this on Sunday. So what we listened to yesterday, should I say. <laughs> uh, Wolfwalkers. To be confirmed release date, but this is an Apple original. So this will be released on their streaming service. Yeah, I can see this getting a wide release. I think this, yeah. We'll get into it. Directed by Tom Moore and Ross Stewart, starring Sean Bean, Honor, Honor Neefsey, I want to say, uh, Eva Whitaker, and it's about a young apprentice hunter and her father who journey to Ireland to help wipe out the last wolf pack. But everything changes when she befriends a free-spirited girl from a mysterious tribe, rumored to transform into wolves at night. And this is an animated film. I'll be completely honest, at the beginning, I was not entirely sold. I thought, it just felt like, you know how some animated films feel like they're targeted a little bit too much towards children and don't have that little bit of extra freedom there for the adults to enjoy it as well. I felt this fell into that category at first, but it got to a certain point where it just absolutely grabbed me and I loved the second half of this film, which did make me appreciate the first half as well after. Um, but I, I thought this was really fantastic. Yeah, it was really enjoyable. I, I mean, it, it brings up the argument of, you know, if you aren't the film's target audience, mm. then, you know, why does your opinion matter sort of thing? But then it, it made but it you. was. Yeah. But then, you know, um, I, I didn't struggle so much at the beginning but this is one of those films that you put on and the family watches. Yeah. You know, it's for kids and it's for adults as well because it has a, a, a thrilling storyline. Yeah. It keeps the interest up in it. It's not babyish. No. Um, it's not... Um, it, it gets dark. dark. It, yeah, it, it gets, gets quite really dark. dark and it doesn't dumb things down. Um, the animation's beautiful. Yeah. Really, yeah. really beautiful, the animation. Yeah, this wouldn't surprise me if this got Oscar nomin- recognition um, for Best Animated. Yeah, potentially. Um, feature. Yeah, potentially. And, and you know, uh, early on into this, I was looking on, on Twitter, I was seeing people saying, I was like, oh, come on, this isn't that great. But like I said, it, it genuinely, and not a lot of films could do this, but it genuinely won me over, and, and I was so intrigued as to what was going to happen next by the time it got to the second half mm. uh, and like I said it just got randomly really dark and uh, yeah uh, by the end of it I, I couldn't recommend it enough it, it was it was really great yeah yeah really we haven't seen a, a full length animated film with that sort of animation ever well I haven't anyway I've seen it in TV shows and stuff but yeah I, I've never seen it in a film that style of animation yeah that's closer to 
anime than it yeah, is. Yeah, it is quite close to anime. Closer to anime than it is to Disney animation. Yeah, re- really well done and, and, and a good one to sit with the kids and watch. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Absolutely. And that brings me to the final film of today. And the final film for this coverage episode, Sound for the Future. So, uh, this is directed by Matt Hulse, Matt Hulsey, Matt Hulse, whatever. Um, the Hippies were a bizarre English punk band formed in 1979 by the Horse Children, Toby, Matt and Polly, using archive music of the same period and poetic uh, of reimagining, reimagining of key episodes from the past. The director, who is also the band's drummer, promises an energetic, jarring, comical musical ride for a part-remembered, kaleidoscopically fractured family history. So this is a documentary. And I don't know if you remember us talking about Hail to the Deadites uh, when we briefly mentioned what we watched at Fright Fest this year. And we thought Hail to the Deadites was quite self-indulgent with Evil Dead fans. This knocks it out of the park and is the most self-indulgent thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Um, it was difficult to really get into the film, to the documentary, because it... I don't know. It just kind of played upon the absurd too much. Mm. Um, it just kind of made the whole thing a little pointless. I just don't get what the point of the film, of the documentary was. No, it's about a band of kids back from nineteen seventy nine. You know, which is an interesting subject. We love post-punk music. Mm-hmm. We were really looking forward to it. I would have liked to have seen a documentary really about what's happened since then. Mm-hmm. And he, he'd mentioned some of his struggles and such. And um, I felt there was maybe some tension in the family and that. But it didn't really go into any of that. No. And it just it had these kids reenacting... Um, the band. Yeah. And it had moments of silliness that I don't think were necessary. No. And it, it did. It just came across quite self-indulgent. It was very much... He, he had this band when he was a kid. Essentially, and I'm not being harsh here, but essentially he's not a celebrity. You know, he's not anyone of note. But he seems to think just because he had this band when he was a kid he should make this entire documentary about it and but there's a lot of interesting documentaries that come from we've just discussed them you know but then he just made it all all about him and he you know but he didn't go in depth into what was interesting about this yeah i I think maybe we were expecting something else and we were just Mm. a little disappointed because i wanted a film that told the history of a family mm-hmm. and I, I don't fit it didn't do that because no. it didn't really do anything no. it just had these kids audition and reenact stuff no. and and i just didn't really get the point if i'm being honest yeah no i didn't get it but that is uh the end of week one and next week we'll be discussing the likes of One Night in Miami, David Byrne's American Utopia, Possessor, 
and Arminite. So that'll be a very exciting week we've got coming up for us. I'm very much looking forward to a lot of these films. One Night in Miami has got me very intrigued. Yeah, yeah. Um, Ammonite should be hopefully good. Yeah. And, and there's already a few. Yeah. Loads of people. I mean, Possessor's been out in America for God knows how long. Yeah. Um, but everybody's saying how great that is. And we've done the good thing and we've waited until it's been released in the UK yes. to watch it. Yes. Pat on our back. Overall, first week, good. Yeah. Yeah, it was. You know, we're here to dissect films. We always have. And, you know, I don't want to sound like an arsehole at any point during these things. I'm I'm sure I do sometimes. But overall, there's some quality films there that I would recommend. You know, if if you've heard any of the the plots of any of the films that we've discussed and you'd be like, that's my kind of film, go out and watch Mm -hmm. it. We're not the be-all and end-all of opinions yeah we just like giving them <laughs> it's true it's true that's why we're uh, 72 episodes in <laughs> yeah oh god that's a lot of opinions so yeah uh, again um just want to say thank you to the london film festival for giving us the press pass to give us the opportunity to discuss these films with you guys and uh yeah it is overall it has been a lot of fun and uh i'm very excited for what this week's going to bring yes so if you're on uh, Facebook and Instagram, we're Horror Court Trash Over. Twitter, Horror Court Trash. If you've been at London Film Festival watching any of these films, let us know what you think. Let us know what your favourite is so far. Uh, I am DeadEyeGaz92 on Letterboxd, where I've been posting a lot of the reviews of the films. Uh, I know Chris has been doing the same on his Letterboxd. Uh, Instagram, I'm Gazmo205, GazChris92 on Twitter. I am ChrisBarker823 on Letterboxd, Twitter and Instagram. And don't forget to rate, review and subscribe if you listen on iTunes. Like and follow on everything else. And follow us on Spotify. Uh, we'll see you on Tuesday for our next Halloween Classics episode where we'll be discussing Shivers. Ooh. And we'll see you same time, same place next week for our next BFI coverage episode. Bye.